Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey, the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. And my esteemed producer today is, as ever, Anthony Dockerell. Today we are contemplating a very, very interesting question, which is, can we fact-check politicians in real time? I know it sounds a bit like a dream, but imagine this. Politician X says something. Let's say Donald Trump says something. And at the same time that Donald Trump says something, a robot or a journalist inspired by a robot or working with a robot says, actually, no, that's a lie. It's a pants on fire. All sounds like a bit of a science fiction sort of idea, but today we're going to hear from Bill Adair, who is uh, the founder of politifact.com, the fact of the most prominent fact-checking um, unit in the in the world, and his endeavours to try and come up with an automated fact-checking way of telling us all that Donald Trump is telling lies in real time. So, yes, Bill Adair. Bill Adair is the founder of the Pulitzer Prize-winning website PolitiFact, and before setting up PolitiFact, he was a reporter and editor of the Tampa Bay Times, he is now a Knight Professor of Practice of Journalism and Public Policy at Duke University in North Carolina in the U.S. And Bill Adair, welcome to the Fourth Estate. Thanks for having me, Peter. So let's let's roll this back before we get to automation, because uh, many of the listeners, you know, might go, oh, have a vague understanding of political fact. So what is fact checking, and do we need it? Because some people would still say, "Hey, isn't that what you journos do anyway?" Well, and I think it's important to understand there are two different kinds of fact-checking. Journalists have always done the first kind, which is to verify the accuracy of the articles that they're publishing. And part of that is to, uh, when you're getting an article ready for publication, to verify all the facts in the article. And that process is often known as fact-checking. Sometimes, at, um, particularly at magazines, there will be... Uh, young editorial employees who are um, who are assigned to do that process, who are known as fact-checkers. Yep. That is one kind of fact-checking. What, what you and I did for PolitiFact and what is this new movement around the world is a distinct form of journalism that also goes by that name, fact-checking or political fact-checking. And what that's about is taking claims that politicians make, that political parties make, researching them and assessing how accurate they are. Mm -hmm. That is also fact-checking, and that is a form of journalism that has grown tremendously since we started PolitiFact in 2007 in the United States, and since you launched PolitiFact in Australia in 2013, there has been... Um, just tremendous growth around the world. There are now about 160 fact-checking sites around the world. Wow, 160. Well, last time I looked, it was 147, so that's like 13 in the last month. Yeah, it's, it's, and it keeps growing, and that's wonderful. And I think what, what has changed that makes that necessary is that the way people get political 
news and the way that they hear statements from politicians has changed. When, uh, when people got their news from a few newspapers and from a few television networks, those news outlets acted as filters, and they filtered out a lot of the things that were false, and they acted as gatekeepers um, in determining what people got. There were good sides to that. It filtered out the crazy stuff. So in the United States, in you know 20 years ago, the crazy theories about Obama being born in Kenya would not have gotten any audience because the mm. editors and the producers at the television networks would have said, well, that's not true, so mm. we're not going to give it an audience. Well, what's changed now is crackpot things, things that are just unfiltered, statements by politicians mm. that um, journalists don't have time to, mm. to fact check, those go directly to the people. So that's why there is a need for fact checking now because we have a very different ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And a really terrible example of that, of course, is what recently happened in Christchurch where someone was able to put a GoPro on the head and, and basically film themselves you know, murdering people. It's a, it's a very different world we live in. It's, everything is more instant and there are, um, you know, there are lots of ramifications of that and I think the fact-checkers in the case of political communications, have stepped up to say, um, how are we going to assess what's true and what's not so that people get that that rating, whether it's a truth-a-meter rating like with PolitiFact or whether it's just an assessment overall. Um, that now, you know, that's more important than ever. So do we know if it works? Or, or maybe, maybe rephrase that. How do we know it works? Excuse me. I think I think the um, the academic research is uh, encouraging. I think the studies that I've seen in the United States and around the world show that, um, in general, fact checking is a positive thing. That people um, that when people get it, it does help to fight um, misinformation. Um, there is a there's a great misconception about fact-checking that there is there has been um, an idea that there is this um, there is this effect where um, people when they hear a claim that they kind of double they hear a falsehood they kind of double down All right, the on it the backfire, the backfire effect yeah, right. and the the studies actually show for the most part that the backfire effect does not occur but, but the backfire effect has a great name, and so it has sort of caught on, and it has become the conventional wisdom, even though, particularly in the last year, there have been two new studies that have said it really doesn't seem to be um, be true that there well, is a backfire effect. There was one effect. out only a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, so what, what came out a couple of weeks ago was a compendium oh, okay. of... Right. Of the the various studies that have been done, and what they say is backfire effect, eh, not so much. Okay, just um, you won a Pulitzer for uh, PolitiFact. I, I won a Pulitzer. Yeah. You won oh a my Pulitzer. gosh! Congratulations! No, thank you very much. <laughs> and so, which would have been a remarkable—I mean, it's a remarkable achievement. 
It was, um, yeah, we're (laughs) joking about that. But yes, um, winning a Pulitzer Prize is journalism's highest honor. And uh, our team, it wasn't me, um, our team at PolitiFact was uh, was honored to win in in uh, after our coverage mm-hmm. of the 2008 election we won in 2009 for um, national coverage yeah. and uh, and it was really wonderful and it was wonderful I think it was a turning point for the Pulitzer Prizes in that it um, it was a moment when the Pulitzer committee the Pulitzer board really first recognized content that was published on the web which you know, today seems like well, of course, um, but in in two thousand, yeah, in two thousand nine, ten years ago, that was like a pretty big deal, yeah. and so, yeah. um, so we were we were really thrilled to be part yeah, of that. No, absolutely, and so just to uh, just to fill in a couple of gaps, how many political facts are there? Out there, there isn't one in Australia now, of course. Um, yeah, so we don't have any uh, internationally, but I think around the around the U.S., um, depending on how you count them, there's about. 10 now, I'm in 10 different U.S. states. And when we say PolitiFacts, um, what we mean is in a state like Wisconsin or Texas or um, uh, Florida, there are reporters who assess statements by politicians in those states and fact-check them and rate them on the truth of meter the same way that the PolitiFact national staff does. Yeah. And how are these... So they tend to be funded... Within the news organization, yeah. So, so that has um, that has evolved, and it kind of depends. Here in North Carolina, um, I work with Politifact North Carolina, and it's funded by a, a combination of the local news organization, the Raleigh News and Observer. Um, it's also funded by a grant from uh, the North Carolina Local News Lab Fund, and so it's um, it just sort of varies uh, okay. depending on the state. All right. I guess my point is uh, whether there's money in fact-checking. Um, when there is, could you let me know? Because uh, I'm you, ready. Because we would be rich by <laughs> now, rich. right? Because we were in it early. Yeah, yeah we'd, we'd be sort of like, uh, you know, like number uh, you'd be number like one in Google, and I'd be like number like, no, 12 or something, and we'd all be multimillionaires you know, yeah. and driving Tesla. So, you know, this is definitely something you do... Um, because it's an important public service, and I think um, we're still looking, and you look around the world, look at those 160 fact-checking sites around the world, and I don't think any of them have found a magic recipe for uh, for getting revenue. All of them um, get revenue in usually in at least several ways, Ooh. if not many ways, usually some combination of funding from... Um, foundations from philanthropy, funding from um, uh, contributors, um, members who contribute money, uh, often some partnerships with other media organizations that will pay for the fact-checking content. So it is it is um, really important journalism, but like investigative journalism, it is something that... Um, we have to persuade, um, you know, we have to raise the money to Well, to I guess them. the point is, like so much journalism, the public good uh, outweighs the actual financial reward. Yes, and I think, um, I, I think you're right that that is like so much other journalism. And, uh, and I think 
in the United States and and in Australia and around the world, we have to we have to continue to make the case to the public that people need to pay for this, yeah. that this is a public good. You know, in Australia, you have the ABC, which is paid for by the people and which, um, you know, I think generally the people I talk to in Australia really appreciate that mm-hmm. the ABC is out there um, covering the news and um, and is serving the public good. And I think there needs to be an appreciation around the world that fact-checking should be should be part of journalism and and that people need to pay for journalism. Sure. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's talk about your dream. Uh, you have many dreams, but let's talk about your fact-checking dream. Uh, automation, or should I say a form of automatic fact-checking, which you told the world about a little bit about uh, this year, immediately after the State of the Union addressed by Donald Trump. So um, maybe just run, run us through this. What is it called? And more to the point, what, sure. I, what are you doing? You bet. Well, it's been a dream since um, shortly after I started PolitiFact. People would would email me or come up to me and say, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you could do it so that it's automatic and so the commercial comes on and and the technology somehow detects the campaign commercial or detects what the politician says and the fact check pops up on the TV. Wouldn't that be cool? And so in 2010, I made a, I made a PowerPoint that I carried on my laptop, still have on my laptop, that was um, what this would look like. And I did a mock-up, you know, of this guy watching a f- football match, you know, and the um, political commercial comes on, and, uh, and then the PolitiFact fact check pops up, you know, and he sees the light, you know, that it's false, Bing. you know. Yes, right. so, um, so that's been the dream. You're right, that's been the dream. So um, what's, what's really amazing is this year we made incredible strides toward achieving that. Um, so in um, over the past nine months, we have been working on a project that, um, like every good... One of the things I learned when I started working in tech is that you have to give things a good code name. <laughs> Uh, that that's important, you know, at Google and Facebook, they always have good code names. So, so our code name for this project is Squash, um, which is both a nutritious vegetable and also a great metaphor for what we want to do to falsehoods. We want to squash them. And a crazy game that no one plays anymore. <laughs> this is true. Um, so we have been working on Squash for the past nine months. We had students working on it last summer, came up with a concept that basically would detect what the politician says in a speech, convert it to text, and then we would match that text against our database of fact checks that had been previously published. So we, um, we continued to work on that through the fall. We didn't, we didn't tell people about it. And then during the State of the Union address, um, when the president um, gave that address, we had our squash program running and it was stunning it worked and he would say things and fact checks would pop up it was amazing so you know what was going on behind the scenes it would convert 
the president's words to text, match them against this database we have of all the fact checks, and then fact checks would pop up on the screen. Happened 20 times during his speech. 14 of those times were bad matches. Definitely, okay. you know, we got a lot of work to do. Sure. But six of the times, it they were they were relevant. And okay. so we were so pleased that we decided that we would go ahead and tell people about this. We, we had not planned to, but we were so thrilled with the success. So squash um, is under development. We're continuing to work on improving the voice to text. Um, one of the challenges is, depending on the speaker, in the case of President Trump, he pauses, and so s- s- our voice to text thinks that he has completed a sentence. He hasn't. So then it submits a partial sentence to the database. We don't get a match when we should. Mm-hmm. Um, another problem is just our algorithm for matching that we used for the State of the Union test was not particularly good. So things that should have matched didn't. Um, the funniest one was uh, he made a claim about um, how long it's uh, how long it was, I think, since from the time that humans first flew in airplanes till they walked on the moon. And that triggered a fact check on building permits. <laughs> so that was not a good Did match. Do you know why that happened? Uh, we don't. Right. Um, so, so the was reading something that... <clears throat> correct. Um, and, you know, our, our algorithm seems to like numbers, and mm-hmm. so there may be a linkage there between the numbers. Right. Um, uh, uh, numbers seem to be like catnip to uh, to our algorithm. That you know, when there's a number, the algorithm kind of just rolls around on the ground, um, kind of drunk with excitement. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Yeah. So, 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 so that we're clear, and so the listeners are clear, this isn't yet. Anyway, this isn't yet where uh, president opens mouth, up pops, hey, he's lying. Correct. It's, it's drawing on a database of previous fact checks. Correct. And that's why what pops up on the screen says related fact check. Um, I don't think in my lifetime it will be possible for a bot to do a completely automated fact check where the bot Mm -hmm. does the research, you know, writes the fact check and publishes it instantly. Um, however, what the bot can do quite well is find a fact check that a human has written that is relevant, that is related to what the politician just said, and and do that instantly. So um, that's what worked, you know, in at least six times. That's what worked well. Although, I mean, to to uh, to acknowledge the. You know, exponential growth in technology. I mean, 10 years ago, we didn't really think, you didn't really think that you'd get right. to this point, right? So it's conceivable. It's sure. totally conceivable. Those robots, hey? Yeah. Love them. I, I yeah. I love your inner they're gonna be they're gonna be great overlords, and uh, yeah, <laughs> hope so. hopefully, uh, yeah, if, if they can, um, yeah, if they can write news stories, um, we can retire and yeah. I'll move to Florida. Yeah. Well, we might do that anyway. <laughs> Um, can I ask a few more questions broadly about fact-checking? Yeah. So one of the, one of the critiques of fact-checking <coughs> is that it plays to a liberal bias. 
you know, it's basically the people who are interested in fact-checking, you know, the people who, you know, are basically liberals, and they're liberals as in, you know, to the left of the political spectrum. Uh, and, and so kind of fact-checking kind of feeds this sort of liberal echo chamber. What do you say to that? Well, I hate to hear that because, you know, it, at PolitiFact, we go to great lengths to make sure that we check both sides that, um, and in the International Fact Checking Network, which is the association of fact checkers uh, that I co-founded, um, one of our principles in the Code of Principles is that a, a fact checker should check all sides in the political discourse. Um, you know, I can't. Um, I can't. There's some things I can't control. I, I can't control when politicians lie and which politicians lie. Um, I can't control the um, the nature of people on different ends of the political spectrum. So if it's the case that um, we do objective journalism, and we do, and we do it really well at PolitiFact, and, and I think fact-checkers in general do it really well, and if that, but if that happens to appeal to a liberal audience... Um, I think we've got bigger problems, yeah. um, and and I, I spend a lot of time in my classes at Duke exploring this and trying to figure out what is behind the complaints of the conservatives in the United States about the mainstream media, and um, it it seems to go back to. Um, you know, it goes back decades, and it's like well, long before fact checking. And um, you know, you go back to the early days. Richard Nixon in the fifties was was complaining about the liberal media, yep. and Roger Ailes, um, yep. the the um, head of the Fox News Channel, um, that was you know kind of key part of the of the core. Um, um, explanation the key, the shtick for the Fox News channel. So we can't control that, I can't control that. Um I worry about it though because I think that facts are not partisan. Mm -hmm. Um and and I really know because I've trained these journalists and I edit Politifact fact checks, I know how hard journalists work in the in the U.S. to be objective. And so to be tarnished again and again this way mm -hmm. is really inaccurate and unfair, and it does a huge disservice to them, but it also poisons our discourse because then people don't trust mm -hmm. objective journalism and they have a hard time distinguishing between news and opinion and so it, it worries me deeply so on that point do you think fact checking has a role to uh dissipate possibly not solve but dissipate or reduce the impact of this highly partisan political discourse you mentioned not just in your country but in mine as well right so it's increasingly partisan partisanship is rewarded by social media by cable news there's lots of sort of Markers set up to reward people who, rather than think, shout. So can fact-checking play a, a role in that, do you think? Yes. I think, um, think fact-checking should play a role in that. The key is getting the fact-checks over the partisan divide. 
uh, one of the things we've seen in PolitiFact is, um, you know, as, as you were noting, like fact-checking is more popular with, with liberals in the United States. Um, so how do we overcome that? So PolitiFact got a grant uh, from the Knight Foundation and traveled around the country, went to three states, mm-hmm. um, Alabama, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, and talk to people and just said, hey, we just want to talk to you and understand how you feel about fact-checking. That's cool. And, um, and there was a lot of people who said, you're a bunch of liberals, you know. And, um, but one of the things that emerged was at the local level, at the, at the city level, at the county level, there really is not the same sort of partisan divide. It's not like you have... Republicans and Democrats on most issues, not like you have liberals and conservatives. It's just like, I want my garbage picked up. You know, I want the city water to work and be good. And, uh, and so that seems to be a way that we in the fact-checking world can restore mm-hmm. um, some credibility by just showing people hey, we're fact-checking the mayor, you know, and the mayor said this, and it turned out what, she, you know, what he or she said was false. So um, so I, I, I hold out some hope that that, that can um, help address this problem. Okay, let a thousand fact-checkers bloom. At the local level. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because to get scale, you might have to train citizens rather than journalists. And and I th- I'll be I think we may be headed in that direction sooner rather than later. Um, the scale of falsehoods is so large that the uh, that I think we will soon see some larger scale efforts to engage people. Um, that you know, and I I'd, I'd like to I'd like to see us explore this in some way. I, I've been reticent because I think I used to think that. Um, because fact to do a typical fact check takes, you know, as you know, like a day, you know, eight hours between the time that the reporter gets it and researches it and then writes it and then it gets edited. So, but, but the thing is not every fact check has to be that long. A lot of them can be done quickly. And so there may be ways to engage the crowd, um, that both, speeds up the fact-checking process, but also brings in more conservative audiences and they begin to get an appreciation for this. Okay. I'm going to ask you an Australian question, which is, uh, as you know, there are three fact-checking units in Australia. There's the ABC RMIT fact-check unit. The Conversation does some fact-checking. And more recently, (coughs) the National Newswire AAP has... uh, join the fray with a bit of funding from Facebook and Google. It's a Goldilocks question. Do you think that's uh, too many, too few, or just a bit rough? Well, more is always better. Um, so three is better than two. Um, I would love to see even more, um, and uh, particularly at the local level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, just, it's not enough to just be... Um, fact-checking what's going on, you know, in the national government. You mm-hmm. want to be checking 
what's going on at the local level too. So I can I can feel a new brand sub brand coming on here called Politifact Local. Sure, sure, and I mean why not? You know the yeah. the um, the thing about the truth meter is it works as well on a local city official as it does on the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And um, because they're both making statements that are factual claims. And whenever there's a factual claim, there's the possibility that you're, you as a citizen are hearing it and thinking, really? Is that true? And that's what fact-checking is all about. Fact-checking is answering that question. So we could see, uh, maybe we could work on this. I mean, there's a, a, a kind of a, a collaborative thing whereby a local reporter works with local citizens to, as you say, fact-check the mayor. Absolutely. Um, I think that would be great. Hey, let's do it. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> we have been talking to Bill Adair from Duke University. Bill was also the founder of... Um, Pulitzer Prize-winning website, PolitiFact. Before setting up PolitiFact, he was a reporter and editor at the Tampa Bay Times in St. Petersburg in Florida. Thank you so much for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. And make sure you subscribe to The Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics, and a few things in between. And we will be back with more next week. But in the meantime, please stay in touch with us on Twitter, where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thank you very much to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name is Peter Frey, and thank you very, very much for listening. 